open up our Bibles tonight. We are coming close to the end of 1 Thessalonians. And we're still in 1 Thessalonians 5. We won't finish tonight, thankfully. We still got some good stuff in front of us. Um, I think next week, my plan is, now the Lord can switch this, but my plan is next week to just like spend the whole time on one verse. So we'll see that. That'll be fun. But tonight we'll do a couple verses. And 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, we're actually going to talk tonight about uh, Scripture, a couple of verses here at the end of this letter, which I remember being maybe when I was about 17 or 18. This became such a big uh, statement for me, such a big uh, revelation for me. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary that, 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 you know, I had to climb a high mountain and answer three riddles to get. It wasn't like this great revelation, but it was a big revelation to me that God was starting something and God was finishing something in me. Um, because I think there's a lot of pressure that's put on us by ourselves and by people around us um, to say, you know, what is your plan? What are you working on? What are you doing? And what, what how, you know, what are you contributing? All this and, and many times well-intentioned and, and sometimes we take that upon ourselves as if I've got to get this done myself. I've got to do this work myself. I've got a lot of work to do on me. Um, and in doing so, sometimes we step out of the rest in the grace of God because the rest in the grace of God does not mean there's no work. It just means that you're working through and by the grace of God and the strength that he provides. And because any work outside of that is, is just, it's just exhausting and it won't get anything done. It's, it's chasing the wind. It's, it's boxing if, as if beating the air. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, even if you're trying to do something for me. Even if you're trying to do something for him, apart from him, it's impossible, right? You know, it's not one of those things where you're like, Jesus, I just want to, just let this be for me. I want to surprise you. No, no, you step back. Let me get something done for you. It doesn't work. Without him, it's impossible. And so, you know, we go back to even, the, even in the Old Testament, God said to his people through the prophet Zechariah, as he was speaking um, uh, to Zerubbabel, he said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord, that this work is going to be accomplished. And I think we believe that when it comes to projects we're doing or ministry tasks or things like that. Um, and I, I want us to get to the point where we don't just believe it for things we're doing, but we believe that for our, the progress in our own life, for our own spiritual growth, for our own uh, sanctification, for our own moving forward, that we truly grab on to the truth that it is not by my might that I get better. It is not by my power that I overcome my bad habits or, or past addictions or, or, or any, anything that I consider not of God. It's not by me that that gets done. Because, you know, the Bible talks about, uh, in one place, it talks about, um, one translation calls it the worship of the will. You know, the idea that, uh, and it talks about, you know, body, bodily discipline having some profit, but... It's, it's not the same as what God wants to do through you. And, you know, we're talking about will worship, and that may sound weird to you, and, and, and that might sound like a, a non-biblical phrase, but it's in there. talks about you kind of elevating your will as in, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to be a better Christian by my will. I'm going to I'm gonna just, just, just really, really try hard to stop doing this and to start doing that. But whatever you're trying to do through your own will, your will's involved. But if it's your willpower that you think is getting it done, if it's your willpower that you're putting all the weight on, all you will end up doing is strengthening your own will and strengthening the flesh. You can't beat the flesh by the flesh. Does that make sense to you? You can't overcome the, 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 the flesh by the flesh. You know, I, I, Martin Luther, when he first... Uh, really get, grabbed hold of that foundational Christian belief that it is by grace through faith alone that we are saved. And so in his Latin Bible, he wrote in the center column, uh, soli, alone, by faith alone. 
And of course, you know he went head to head with the Roman Catholic Church, nailed 99 theses on a wall, on a door and said, you know, these are some issues I have with you. And one of the main issues that he had was this idea that you could work your way or buy your way into heaven. Martin Luther, in that time, I mean, they would sell indulgences that, you know, if you can, if you can give some money to the church, then you can get one of your relatives out of purgatory or hell. Um, he would have been part of a, a monastic order that, that encouraged you to walk and crawl upstairs on broken glass to demonstrate your holiness and to enforce your own holiness. Like, uh, these are the people that would self-flagellate. Maybe you've heard that phrase, self-flagellation, that, that beating yourself up, right? They literally beat themselves up. When they'd have a sinful thought or they'd step out of line, they'd take a whip and whip themselves and, and try to, through that, discipline themselves out of their sinful thoughts and their sinful ways. And, of course, that's ultimately... Um, you're helpless, right? I mean, you can keep doing that, but all you're doing is trying to defeat the flesh by the flesh, and there's no power in it. But if we can step into God's work in us, if we can receive his work in us, if we can open ourselves to his work in us, we understand that he started a project when we got saved, and he's going to finish the project. It's his work in us that's going to stand the test of time. In fact, the Bible says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. John wrote that when the church was wondering, how are we going to overcome? What if we listen to the wrong preacher, right? What, what, you guys are talking about Antichrist. You're talking about false teachers. What if we accidentally listen to them and believe them? And he says, you'll know the truth because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You'll know the truth because the fruit will be there. And he says this, don't worry. You've already overcome the evil one because this is the victory. That overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Why is it our faith? Because our faith is in God, right? Our faith is our reliance on him. So you'll overcome when you fully learn to rely on the God that saved you to start with. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we left off with an encouragement to the church to abstain from every form of evil. Right? So he's giving them a command. Hey, stay away from every form of evil. Before that, he said, he talked about not quenching the spirit, not despising prophetic utterance, examining everything carefully and holding fast to what is good. Then he says, stay away from every form of evil. So that's an act of your will, and that's a good act of your will, where you're saying, I'm just going to stay away from stuff that's the enemy of my own soul. I'm not going to enter into that. But then he says this. He says in chapter 5 and verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. That's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? Now he started with command, then he gave a prayer, and then he gave you a promise. The command was stay away from evil. The prayer was may God himself sanctify you entirely. Preserve you spirit, soul, and body at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the promise was faithful is he who calls you. Faithful will he be to bring it to pass. There's a lot of verses that deal with this coming of Jesus and the presentation of his bride, pure, holy, spotless, blameless. It's all through the New Testament. And all through the New Testament, when he talks about presenting us blameless and spotless before the Father, he always ties it to his own faithfulness. He always ties it to his own work. He doesn't say, guys, you better get to work because when I present you to the Father, I'm not presenting a haggard bride. I'm not presenting a dirty bride. So you better get working on yourself so that I'm not embarrassed on that great day. He doesn't say that. He ties it to his faithfulness. You're going to be spotless because I'm faithful. You're going to be blameless because I'm faithful. You're going to be worthy of presentation because I'm the one that cleans you. Amen. Isn't that good? Don't you give you a bit of relief? Yes. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people terrified about the coming of Jesus. And I'm not talking about Christian people. 
terrified about the day that Jesus returns because they felt, what if I'm not ready? What if I'm not ready? Well, you need to just open up, relax, open up to the Lord because it's his job to get you ready, right? Now, you can resist his work in your life, but that's a dumb move. Or you could try to do it yourself, also a dumb move. Why don't we just open up and say, his job in me is to prepare me, is to complete what he started. Now, thank God there's more than one aspect to that. We know that when we were born again, we were justified, right? Past tense, we were justified in it. I was justified, I am justified, and I will continue to be justified by the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? Okay, you quietly believe that. That's good. That's a quiet, calm, strengthened faith. You believe you're going to be justified, right? Oh, hey, now we're here. So we believe we're justified. That means I'm made right with God. My record is clean. In fact, it's not just clean. I stand before him perfect, holy. But there is a sanctifying work that's continuing in us. You know that because when you got saved, you didn't automatically get a new brain. You still had the same one that needed to be renewed, right? You didn't get a new body, even though we wish we had, you know? I, I wish I could get, receive Jesus again and get a new body right now. That'd be awesome. But we kept the same body, we kept the same brain, there was a work in us, and I hope everybody here can say you're further along now than you were when you got saved, yeah, right? I hope so. It shouldn't be the other way. It should be you're, you're always growing, always abounding. If you are further along now than when you first believed, that is the work of Jesus. It's not the work of you, it's the work of him in your life. That's proof that you're born again. It's proof that you're born again because the Bible says if they, could have, if they could have made themselves perfect by their own work, by their own uh, effort, by the law, they, they would have done so, but they couldn't. So if you're further along, it's because God's been working in you. If you somehow feel uncomfortable doing things that you used to feel quite comfortable doing, it's once again proof that you're born again. It's a renewed spirit in you. It's a clean spirit in you that no longer likes what you used to like because now it likes the things that God likes. So this is a, a good thing. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a thing to be concerned about. It's a thing to rejoice in. So he says here, faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. That, that calling, I know a lot of times when we talk about a calling, we talk about like uh, called to be a preacher, called to be a singer, called to be a, an evangelist, you know. But in the New Testament, almost all the time that it talks about a calling it's not talking about the gifting in your life. It's talking about that calling that the Father called you, that you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were called out of a kingdom of, a domain of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious son. When we hear the word, not every time, but almost every time in the New Testament when it talks about calling, when he says, consider your calling, when he says, um, uh, Faithful is he who calls you. And he, it, several times, if you'll look this word up, if you'll, if you'll seek it out in the New Testament, you'll see that it's almost always tied not to the thing you're called to do, but rather the fact that he called you into himself. In fact, it doesn't often say, um, what is your calling? As if like, well, I'm, I'm called to be a, a businessman or I'm called to be a preacher. When he says, consider your calling, he's not talking about consider what you're supposed to be doing. He says, consider your calling. Consider the moment that God called you. You weren't very mighty. You weren't very noble. You weren't very strong. But he called you. We need to consider that we have been called by God. Exactly. Chosen, set apart. That we, when, we, when I grew up, a lot of people will say, well, when did you first hear the call and they were talking about a call to ministry. And there's nothing wrong with that. But scripturally, when we talk about the call of God, him calling us, it was him choosing us to be part of his kingdom, part of his family. It was the fact that we've been called into his kingdom. So when he says, faithful is he who calls you, it's not wrong to think of this in a ministry context or a, a, a purpose context, but it actually is a lot more foundational than, you know, I'm called to be this or I'm called to be that. When he says faithful is he who calls you, it's talking about that initial call that you've been called to be his child. 
That's where it begins. So when we say, how do I know that I'm going to be who he wants me to be? How do I know that I'm going to do what he wants me to do? How do I know that I'm going to uh, become what he's made me to become? The question is this, did he call you? Right? Like, did Jesus call you? And, And if anybody says, I don't know, then you need to look around and say, well, why in the world am I here right now? I mean, I look back at your life and look where you came from and look where you are. Yes, he did. If he hadn't called you, you couldn't have been saved. Now, is there anybody in the planet he didn't call? I don't believe so. I believe he, I believe he opened up his arms. I believe he put the invitation out to all of us. But he knew beforehand who would say yes. He knew who would say no. The invitation's up to us. We can respond, but we have been called by God. Holy and beloved, we've been called, we've been chosen, we've been set apart. And so faithful is he who calls you. If you're born again tonight, you've been called. And if you're born again tonight, God started something in you and it started with his call. And it'll end when you see him face to face. When I say end, I just mean it'll be brought to a completion. Faithful is he who calls you. He will also Bring it to pass. I love that he starts this section out by saying, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. When we talk about the God of peace, often we think like, you know, that peace that calms us down or gets rid of our anxiety and thank God for that peace. But I believe here when he often talks about the God of peace, he's talking about that that bigger idea of what peace really is, that that completeness, that wholeness, that, that victory that God won. Because peace was won. Peace was fought for. Peace was accomplished through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. He became our peace. He brought peace. He made peace through the cross. He made peace by completely overthrowing the enemy's power in your life. And that peace is... So, so well described by the Hebrew idea of shalom, which is nothing missing, nothing broken. It's wholeness. It's complete. I don't know if anybody here tonight would say, I think I'm complete right now. Like, and we have to separate that into two thoughts because the Bible does say we have been made complete in him. Right? We are complete in him. Why? Because all the, it says all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ in bodily form. And it says, and it goes in and says the next sentence, and you have been made complete, or literally in the Greek, you've been made full in him. So all the fullness of everything God is was in Jesus. And now you are full in him. So there's nothing that he hasn't given you. There's nothing he hasn't granted you. There's nothing he hasn't opened up to you. Can you believe that? That there's nobody here that got more of Jesus than you did? That there's nobody here that had access to more of the Spirit than you? That you have been made complete in Christ? And yet, we can look at our life and we can say, I'm not done my race yet. I'm not, I'm not perfect yet. That's what Paul said. I haven't obtained it yet, right? I, I can say that. I'm going to be further along next year than I am right now. You know, the Apostle Paul said, if Timothy, if you'll get absorbed and what God put inside of you, if you will take pains with them and be absorbed in them, then your progress will be evident to all. I, I take that as a, as a hopeful thing. People should be able to see, people at least that are watching your life, I'm further along than I was then. Why? Because the, that saving power in Christ Jesus saved me completely, but is continuing its work in me until the day of Jesus Christ. It's, 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 it's an invading force in my life. It's a renewing force. It's a resurrecting force. So when I got saved, I was completely saved. Do you believe that? I was completely saved. You were completely saved. If you died 30 seconds after you got saved, you'd see Jesus and he'd say, welcome home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, hey, I believe you're the guy. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus says, deal. The thief had no time to do anything good. 
right? Didn't have any time to get down off the cross and say, I'm not going to start feeding some poor people. I, I got to start working on something. I got I to fix my life. I got to get off, off the wine and start working on some things. He had no time to fix anything. He died shortly thereafter. But he did believe, right? So when you were saved, there was a complete work done in you. And yet something began in you that is continuing until the day of Jesus Christ. That's his work in you. That's the invasion of Jesus Christ into your life. That's the invasion of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the vine dresser in your life. That is the complete work of salvation in you that doesn't stop until you're face to face with the king. That's why you can say, in five years, I'll be five years further. In 10 years, I'll be 10 years closer. And when you're done, be careful about saying, I'm done. Because Paul said it right before he got his head chopped off, you know? Hey, I'm done, I might as well go see Jesus now. <laughs> Once you're done your course, there's no point in being here. I want to keep running my course until the very last minute. Here's what Paul said. Hold your place in this. I've quoted this a few times already tonight, but I just want to read it to you so that you can see it. 1 Thessalonians 5, hold your place, but, but turn with me to Philippians. Philippians 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, listen to this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So first of all, he says, I, I can't stop thanking God for what he's doing in your life. And then he says, like, I know this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So the reason you can believe that I have every right and every expectation that I will continue to grow until I see Jesus face to face is that he is faithful. He that began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Until when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say until he's finished. It just says until the day of Jesus Christ. So I think God's going to continue to cause you to grow until the moment where you won't need to grow anymore, until the moment you couldn't possibly grow anymore. We serve an infinite God, don't we? He like never ends. He's, he's infinitely good, infinitely love, infinitely powerful. So it's easy to believe he's got infinite improvements for me, infinite growth for me until that day where I see him face to face and he goes, not anything more I need to do to you. You're here now. We're done. First Corinthians 13 says there'll be a day when the perfect becomes perfect and we'll know all and we'll see all. And we'll know as we're known and we will see face to face. We won't need tongues anymore because we'll speak his language. We won't need prophecy anymore because we'll already know what we need to know. For now we see as in a glass dimly, but then we'll see face to face. We'll see clearly. The God of peace will sanctify us entirely. And our spirit and our soul and our body will be preserved complete without blame at the Lord, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's faithful. And I know that discouragement is a battle that people face when they feel like they've hit a spiritual rut. 
you know? Well, you feel like, I don't feel like I've gotten that much further. And I think one of the key words there is, I don't feel like. Because we're not led by our feelings, are we? We're not led by our feelings or what we see. We're led by faith. But a lot of us will say at different times, I, I don't know what it's going to take for me to grow. I, I, I feel like I've taken a step backwards. It seems to me that I'm not going any further. And what we'll do is we'll look around and say, well, it must be the church I'm going to, or it must be the friends I'm hanging out with, or it must be the books I'm reading, it must be this, and it must be that. I've known people that have been part of a church, and it wasn't this one, so I, I felt like I could judge as an outside observer, and they said, you know, I'm not, I'm not growing in my church anymore. I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. And I would look around them, and people who are just as spiritually mature and, and just as, as, as far along in the faith as them were excited, were growing, were, were, were full of the Spirit. And, and I would say, well, if you're not getting fed, and all these other people are, then maybe it's not the soil that's the problem. Because their, their thing was like, I think I need to move. I think it's just the preacher. I think it's just the sermons. Maybe it's not the soil that's the problem. Maybe it's the roots. Maybe it's that you're not really going down deep and, and getting what God's already got for you. Maybe there's some blocks in your own life where you've said, no, I just don't want you to work on this part of me. had a conversation only a, a week ago with a, a young person that was talking about this one area, this one area where they felt like, I believe everything else, but this one area, I'm sorry, I'm just not ready to listen to God on that part. Like, I know, I know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to tell me. I hear you. And I know God's already trying to do that. I, I've heard, I, but I, I'm not ready for that. And in this person's mind, they thought, if I just... If, I, if I'm listening to God in all these other areas, if I'm open to God in all these other areas, then in that area, I can say no, and I'll get to it later. God, I know you're work, trying to work on me. I, I know you're trying to talk to me. God, you've confirmed it, but I'm just not ready for that. So can I just put that aside, and, and can you just do all this other stuff that I like? Over here, I love your presence. I love you working on my life. I love you teaching me things. Not in this area, though. Not ready for that. And what I said to them was, you know, hardness of heart is like cancer. You can't isolate it in one area. It always spreads. You see, all God's asking of you is that you remain open and by faith walk in the grace that's already there for you. That grace of God that not only saves you but causes you to be like Jesus, empowers you to grow, empowers you to be transformed. I believe that God won't do this against your will. You can have a different belief, but this is my belief. I believe that God won't force you to be like him without you saying, I want to be like you. Maybe we don't know what that means. I know I said I want to be like Jesus before I knew all the things that was going to entail. Maybe I wouldn't have said it so quickly. But it's been good. And I've got a lot further to go. But God's not going to force you against your own will. I know some people would say he does, but I have a problem with that thought because I look throughout the Bible and see how these writers of these letters urge the believers to soften their heart to God, to repent, to, to obey, to, to walk in it, to open themselves up to God. If that were the case, that God was just going to make you do what he wanted you to do and make you into who he wanted you to be, no matter what you did, I don't think we'd ever need to read the Bible, right? We'd just lay in our bed and we'd slowly become more like Jesus against our own wills, right? Jesus had to say, follow me, and some people just said, no. He didn't grab them by the ear and say, oh, no, you will follow me. And yet, listen to this, they had to say, yes, I'll follow you, but he even asked them, remember, he said to his disciples, you want to leave? And they said, no, we don't want to leave. I mean, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, which I know I've said this before, but that implies to me that they, they're like, if, you, if there were somewhere else, we would go somewhere else. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, Jesus, do you actually know somewhere else we could go? But now we can't go anywhere. We're with you. 
And so I bet at the end of their time with Jesus, you, if you had guys like Peter that said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I'm re- we're ready to go to death with you. And when Jesus prays that prayer at the end in the garden in John 17, he doesn't say, you know, I have 11 good men that stuck with me. Thanks, God, for sending me such strong men that stuck with me. Do you know what he said? He said, I kept those 11. I kept them. I kept them. I kept them in your name. I kept all of them, I said, all 12 of them except for the one that was the son of perdition so that the prophecy may be fulfilled. So Judas. But I kept the 11. The ones you gave me, I kept them. What if you had overheard that? I mean, because obviously the disciples, somebody found out about that prayer because they wrote it down. Right? Now, I think they were all asleep at the time, but maybe Jesus said, by the way, this is what I prayed for you. I don't know if John was sneaking around over over eavesdropping or I don't know how that worked, but they found out what he prayed. And I imagine maybe one of them would say, hey, hey, you kept us? Everybody else left. We stayed. Shouldn't we get credit for that? We're the ones that stuck with you. Even Jesus said that. You're the ones that stood by me in my trials. And yet, when he's having a one-on-one with his father, he's taking credit for it. Because he deserves the credit for that. And I think that should give you some hope. And at the end of your life, when you stand there and you've stayed true, and you've stayed faithful, and you get that well-done, good and faithful servant, isn't it good news that at the end of your life, when all that happens, you'll get the reward, but Jesus will get the credit. That's good news to me. You know why that's good news to me? Because that assures me that that's going to happen. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. We need to believe that. I'm going to grow because he's faithful. I'm I'm going to become more and more like Jesus every day because he's faithful. I'm going to overcome the things that have bound me in the past because he's faithful. I'm going to be more and more like him, more and more pruned, more and more um, sanctified in his nature, in his likeness every day because my spirit already looks like him, but my mind's going to start to think like him. My body is going to be submitted to my spirit just as his was because he's faithful. Faithful is he who called me and he will bring it to pass. You know, Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 15 when he was proving the resurrection of Jesus. He said, I'm the least fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he didn't have a problem saying I'm an apostle. He said, I, I didn't, didn't deserve the title. And if you were to use my own standards against me, you probably could say, you should not be an apostle. But he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's hard to say that without picturing Yosemite Sam, isn't it? (laughs) By the grace of God, I am what I am. If you didn't picture it before, now you are, so I'm sorry. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Then he says, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain, for I worked harder than all the other apostles. It seems weird that he'd throw that in there. You know, he's saying like, listen, guys. It wasn't just that the grace of God said you're an apostle now and that was the end of the story. He said, I had to choose. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to press into this. But then he said, but it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working with me. So you play a part in this, don't you? You play a part in this. Am I going to be more like Jesus today? You know, when he says abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit, that sounds really good to me. I like that. That image of my, because I'm the vine, you're the branches, and then he goes, and my father is the vine dresser. That's the part where I go, wait, hang on. Who's cutting what? The father's the vine dresser. Exactly what is he going to prune? Jesus goes on to say, you're already pruned. You're already cleaned because of the words that I've spoke to you. His word is going to prune me. His word is going to clean me, isn't it? 
Because it says that in Hebrews that the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. And it pierces and it divides between my soul and my spirit, between joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And you know what? When you first come into the kingdom, you don't want anybody judging your thoughts. You don't really want anybody judging your intentions. We've been so soaked in the spirit of our culture, which says this, the best thing you can do is be yourself, right? Just be you, you be you, you do you. Like that's the highest, highest form of satisfaction in our culture. Being yourself, doing what you want to do, expressing yourself. And if you're a five-year-old that says, I think I'm a unicorn, parents, you should let your child be a unicorn. Right? That's the highest form of expression is self-expression. But Jesus showed us what humanity should look like. The highest form of expression was not self-expression, but God being expressed through him. The Father being expressed through him. And guess who the Bible says was the gladdest person that ever walked the planet? Jesus Christ. You go tell somebody you know how to be the happiest, most joyful person in the world? I've got the secret. Oh, you do. It's not what you have. It's not what you've earned. It's not what people think of you. The way to be the, per the, the gladdest, most joyful person the world's ever seen is to completely throw your will out the window and pick up God's will for you and to express his glory to the world because that's what Jesus did. And the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. People will look at you and say, you're a religious nut and you're wrong. And yet we look around and we see the people that have tried the other way and they're not happy. Right? I mean, the, the proof's there. And I don't revel in somebody else's misery, but there's a lot of miserable people that shouldn't be miserable by the world's standards. Look how many rock stars die at age 27. Either because they killed themselves or they just wanted to numb themselves so far that they overdosed. I don't celebrate that. You don't celebrate that. We're not happy about that, but it is proof that the world does not have the path to satisfaction. I mean, even the, <laughs> some of the greatest rock bands write songs like, I can't get no satisfaction, right? <laughs> can't find it, can't get it. I hope that song is not playing in your head now that I brought it up. Sorry. So you're like walking through the grocery store. You know, I have a friend that I guess this is what they taught him in his youth group. He said, when you're in the grocery store, holy eyes, look to the skies. <laughs> that meant don't look at the tabloids while you're like putting your vegetables down. But you can't help it. You're taking stuff out of the cart. You put it on the belt. You are forced to look at whatever the inquirer says you should be looking at right now. What is it all? Now, I mean, the inquirer is probably lying to you about something. But there's other magazines that are tra just as trashy but maybe a little bit more reputable. And it's always somebody splitting up, someone get divorced, someone cheating on someone else. And these are the people that the world's looking up to. These are the people they're aspiring to. If I had this, I'd be happy. None of these people are happy. And they can't even live with each other. Right? They just can't stand each other. I mean, a long celebrity marriage is like 10 years. You're, you're ancient. You have passed the test. So do we buy into God's version of satisfaction? Do we buy into God's version of happiness and joy that it's becoming like Jesus, that Jesus was humanity's example? And Jesus said, the way you're going to be most satisfied is to abide in me, me and you, and let the Father prune you and clean you, let his word clean you, let his word examine you, let his word judge you and take out what shouldn't be there and plant what should be there. And let me sanctify you. Let me make you every day more like me. It's invasive, isn't it? It's invasive to be told every day of your life you should change. Because I mean like, I, 
I, I would like to just say I got to a point where I changed enough. Now I can just be me. But the good news is you're always going to be growing. You're always going to be changing. And I love this that he says that he's going to do a work in you, in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. That spirit has changed. Your, your soul is being renewed. Your mind renewed by the washing of the word of God and that your body is being changed because it was our flesh that ran our life before and now our body can be a tool for God. What does the Bible say? Let your members now that were instruments of sin be now instruments of righteousness. I think people just want to totally kill off the part of them that worked so hard for the devil. I, I think they just want to say, like, oh, man, I wish this wasn't an issue. Like the old, like Jesus said, you know, if your eye is causing you sin, pluck it out. You know, if your hand is, is causing you sin, cut it off. And he didn't literally want you to do that. But the great news of the gospel is this. That when you become saved, God's going to use every part of you for his kingdom. And that part of you that used to be the, the, your greatest enemy, the part of you that used to be your, your greatest downfall is now an instrument for the kingdom of God, an instrument for righteousness. So it's not just about controlling my hands and keeping them from evil, controlling my eyes and keeping them from seeing things they shouldn't see, controlling my mouth and my tongue, which is a restless evil, the Bible says, and keeping it from saying the wrong thing. All of these things through the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ become the greatest tools of Jesus in your life. Now your hands are used to heal. Now your eyes are used to see what God wants you to see. Now your tongue is used to bless instead of to curse and to speak life instead of speaking death. That's what sanctification means. It means that God's going to take every last thing that the devil corrupted and make it right again. You will be redeemed. You have been redeemed. Your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your hands, your feet, every part of you, your thoughts are all being made to look like Jesus. And it started when you got saved and it'll continue until you see Jesus face to face. Faithful is he who called me, and he will bring it to pass. If you have to say that every day, faithful is he who called me. Now, I know the Bible talks about our faithfulness. It says, as the Lord is faithful, so are we. And it's important that we're faithful, right? But your faithfulness is a product only of his faithfulness. That's why it says, as the Lord is faithful, so are we. Because we couldn't have been faithful without him being faithful. I think a lot of us are concerned. You know, Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? There's a lot of people, and whether they know how to put it into words or not, there's a concern. Will I, at the end of my life, will Jesus say to me, you've been faithful? I, I told you this, but some of you have been here before, but... <laughs> Liberty and I got into the video room back when mom and dad were working. Some of the videos were not for our age group, but we didn't know it, so we grabbed them. I remember we put in, some of you guys will remember the rapture movies. And I remember the one that opened with somebody's head being chopped off, and we're like, <laughs> well, I can't see. Like, ah. If Mrs. Freeman were there, she would have said, not yet, kids, that's for later. But we... We were like freaked out. <laughs> like, oh man. Because this lady wouldn't deny Jesus. I became really obsessed with missionaries. I had these books. I had a book called Smoke of a Thousand Villages about missionaries that lived out this. And I had Fox's Book of Martyrs <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I was a weird little kid. <laughs> I'm reading like, oh, so this, you know, this guy is being burned at the stake and he holds his hand out and says, I still believe. And oh, that's so cool. But the problem is, is that I was like preparing myself like maybe I'll have to face death. And I could take a quick bullet to the head. But what if they tortured me, I thought. So some of you have heard me tell this already, but I would take like pliers 
just stick it to my finger and squeeze. How much can I endure? How much can I endure? How much can I endure? Because my hope was if I train myself to be really resistant to pain, I won't deny Jesus. And I read these books. I read these books. And I believed I was going to go up in the rapture. I wouldn't face the tribulation. But I still read books about people who were in the tribulation. And they were being like forced, like, deny Jesus or get your head chopped off. And they said, I won't deny Jesus. So they got their head chopped off. I'm like, ooh, would I pass that test? (laughs) And Michael W. Smith wrote a song about Columbine, about the girl that said, I believe in God. And she got killed. And he wrote a song, said something along the lines of the first line was a a test we all hope to pass. And I was like, but will I pass that test? And and somebody told me a a story about a youth group where the youth leader came in and and, and had a mask on and stuck a gun and said, everybody up against the wall. Who believes in God here? And and the kids were like, some of the kids went against the wall and some of them didn't. And then he took a mask off and said, it's just your youth leader. And I was like, what a cruel trick. But would I pass the test? It's a really bad idea, you leaders. I was so stressed out about it. So I tried to prepare myself. And I was like, what will I do? And uh, endure some more pain, Jonathan. I didn't like pain. I didn't enjoy it. I'm not weird like that. But I was just trying to make sure that I would pass the test. Until I got to the point where I found out that me passing the test would not be a result of my willpower. Me passing the test would not even be a result of my faithfulness, but of his faithfulness. I became convinced, and I'm convinced to this day, if it ever came to that, I would pass the test. And I'm not arrogant to say that because I believe that he who called me will keep me. That his grace would be sufficient for me in that moment. His power would be made perfect in my weakness. I've heard stories of those that did face it. And they felt such a strength come on them in the time. They felt such a peace come in them. They felt such a boldness rise up in them. Even little children. And you don't have to wait until you, somebody sticks a gun to your head. Right now, that grace is available to us. We will pass every test. But how do you receive grace? How do you walk in grace? How do you step into grace? By faith. It's your faith that got you saved. And it's faith that will keep you growing and being sanctified, being clean, moving in the things of God is by having that faith that it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by your spirit. I've known believers who got saved and thank God the moment you got saved, God didn't give you a list of all the things you needed to fix. They still had some habits they had to break. They still had some relationships that needed to be mended. They still had some things, that patterns that needed to be shifted. But every single one, as long as your faith is in God, you started this, you can finish this. You're the author of my faith, so I know you're the finisher and the perfecter of my faith. Every single one of those things was changed. Every single one of those things was transformed step by step. He made them look like him. And he'll do the same for us, won't he? I want you to be like Peter boasted in his own faithfulness, right? Lord, I'll be faithful to you. I won't deny you. I love you. He boasted in his feelings for God, his feelings for Jesus, his ability to keep it. But Jesus said, you you don't know, Peter, you're going to fail. But I'm praying for you that your faith would fail not. He doesn't say, I'm praying for you that your willpower wouldn't fail. He says, I'm praying that your faith wouldn't fail. Because what's going to keep you, Pete, what's going to keep you is not all the things you think are keeping you. What's going to keep you is your reliance on me. That's what's going to keep you. Who are you trusting here, yourself or Jesus? Who are you trusting here? You think if you just come to more church services and read more scriptures and just try harder, things will get better. You know what? All those things will help you, but they'll only help you if your reliance is in Jesus. As long as you're saying, maybe I'll learn one more thing. Maybe I'll get one more key and I could just try harder at that. I believe in your will. I believe effort is involved. I believe discipline is involved. I believe diligence is a part of being a believer. But it's faith 
that makes all of those things work. It's faith in Jesus' work in you. It's faith in his faithfulness. Praise God. There was a time when the church woke up to the power of faith in God. And then some began to go so far as I think to put their faith in their faith instead of their faith in God. And what we need is not faith in our faith or faith in our faithfulness, but faith in his faithfulness. Faithful is he who calls you. He'll bring it to pass. That's good news. And if you just keep saying that to yourself, faithful is he who calls me, he will bring it to pass. It's going to require you saying yes to the Lord. It's going to require you having faith in him. But trust this, he's able to make you who he wants you to be. Just get rid of the anxiety and the stress about how will I overcome this? How will I overcome that? Because the Bible says this is the victory that's overcome your faith. You're born of God, so you'll overcome. Faithful is he. And as he said in Philippians, and we'll close with this, I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Amen? Stand with us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be like you. Like every child, we look up and say, we want to be like our father. We want to be like the one we've grown to know and, and loved and admired. We look at Jesus and we say, we want to be just like Jesus. We're so thankful that you said that's not a pipe dream. That's not something that's too far. That's exactly what you desire for us, to be conformed to the image of your son. I understand and we understand that we're not, we're not finished growing. We're not finished changing. We're not finished being transformed. That Our minds still got to shift. Our, our, our attitudes, our life still is work to be done, but you're the one doing the work. And that work is all being predicated on the finished work of the cross. We know the only sin that can be overcome is a forgiven sin. So we rest right now in your work, in your accomplished work on the cross, in your resurrection. And we trust right now that you are continuing to work in us. You're causing us to grow. You're causing us to, to look like you more and more every day. So, Lord, don't let us, I mean, just keep us from hard-heartedness. Wake us up to the reality of those areas where we're still kind of holding you at arm's length, saying, I, I'm not ready for that to change. We want to be the kind of people that say, I'm ready for everything to change. Yeah. I just want to be like you. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for continuing your work in us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us while we were still unlovely. Lord, I thank you that you loved us to the end. To the final and fullest degree, you've loved us. And your love never fails. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name.